Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week a special episode, a full episode, See You in Hell, focusing on the recently deceased former Italian Prime Minister, Silvio Berlusconi. That's right, Mr. Bunga Bunga himself has died, and we are celebrating his death today. Berlusconi was Italy's longest-serving prime minister after World War II, the third longest in total, trailing a recent post-Italian unification prime minister and, of course, Benito Mussolini. Berlusconi was famous for leading a series of center-right governments for many years and being a member of different legislative bodies in Italy and also in the European Parliament. Additionally, he was a more or less self-made billionaire. If you're coming at learning about Berlusconi from the United States, think about him as the man that Trump pretends to be. But, you know, Italian. Uh, He's also richer than Donald Trump, or rather was richer than Donald Trump, to the tune of a couple billion. Berlusconi was born in 1936 in Milan to a middling middle-class family. His father had worked at a bank and made enough money that the mother stayed at home with the children. Berlusconi has two younger siblings, both of which now work in his media empire. Berlusconi attended middle-class Catholic schooling as a youth and then law school in Milan. He avoided military service, apparently due to his legal career, and also in 1965 married his first wife, with whom he had several children. At this point, he was sort of a freewheeling young man. He did a lot of various jobs, including apparently being a crooner, like a like a singer on a cruise ship. However, his real life, the life that we know him from, began in the early 70s. He entered the business world. In the early 70s, he got involved in the three industries that would later dominate his business portfolio and the things that made him famous and powerful in Italy. These are construction, telecommunications, and sort of like corporate finance, corporate governance stuff. Construction was the first big break for Berlusconi. His company was part of a team that constructed a planned community in Milan called Milano Due. It's a planned sort of suburb east of Milan, except that it's not like a gross suburb. It's actually a fully walkable community. I don't know. It doesn't sound that bad. He also started at about this time a telecommunications company called Telemilano, a private TV company was specifically designed to serve his developments in and around Milan. Telemilano was Italy's first private television company. Previously, all other television companies and television broadcasts in Italy had been state-run and operated. Telemilano was actually sort of like quasi-illegal when it operated, because, you know, it wasn't really allowed to have your own private television or telecommunications firm. However, Berlusconi had a close and apparently very actually like personal and friendly relationship with then Prime Minister of Italy, Bettino Craxi, who was actually a socialist. Uh, And that actually allowed him to skirt some of these regulations and create and maintain his own telecommunications company. Finally, Berlusconi also eventually founded a sort of financial holdings umbrella corporation called Finvest, F-I-N-Vest a holding company slash investment firm that organized all of his various business ventures. It is currently led by his daughter. This brings us to the 1990s, at which point Berlusconi is one of the wealthiest people in Italy. 
He is incredibly popular, and he is incredibly famous for essentially bullying his way into the telecommunications industry, an industry that he sort of more or less invented in Italy because he was the only operator in that industry at the time apart from the state. At this point, this is when he enters politics, and he enters it in a really meteoric and incredibly successful way. In 1933, he founds Forza Italia, a center-right sort of Christian democratic-oriented party, as in a party that believes in a form of economic liberalism with some degrees of social conservatism. So he forms this party in 1993, and the party then wins its first election in January of 1994. And by wins, I mean it became the biggest and most popular and successful party in Italy in 1994. This is a stupendous success for a new political party, and it's partly because all of the other major political parties in Italy, both on the right and left, had just been hit by a massive corruption scandal that was really roiling Italian politics at the time. This meant that in 1994, a lot of people suspected that the far left would carry the Italian election because they were the only major party that was not really affected by this. This is a sort of post-Soviet post-communist party that people thought was going to win. Berlusconi jumped in essentially at exactly the right time to fill a moderate center right-wing gap that was left by these parties that were hit by this scandal. He also came in specifically saying that he was going to prevent the communists, that is, these left-wing parties, from taking over. The result in 1994 was massive success for the right-wing. Forza Italia and its allies were able to create a coalition government, those allies are the two other major right-wing parties in Italy today. Those two parties were at the time called the National Alliance and the Northern League. The National Alliance was the 1990s version of the Italian social movement, Italy's post-fascist party, as in literally a party founded by actual fascists, like fascists that escaped World War II. That party is now called the Brothers of Italy, and it is currently the leading party in Italian politics today, led by Prime Minister Meloni. The other party, the Northern League, is now just known as the League, and it is led by one of the other leaders of Italian politics, Matteo Salvini. So this political coalition comprised of Forza Italia, Berlusconi's center-right party, the National Alliance, which is a post-fascist party, and the Northern League, which is a nationalist slash northern Italian separatist party, won big in 1994. However, this government was extremely fragile. In fact, Berlusconi's party only had two separate coalitions with each of these parties. They were not working together like the other two parties went out in coalition with each other. It was a V, not a triangle. And this meant that the coalition was extremely fragile and eventually collapsed in 1996. Berlusconi ran again for leadership in 2001, as leader of another right-wing coalition. This time, he won a plurality, and it stuck around this time for quite a lot longer. He dedicated a large amount of his media empire's coverage to promoting his coalition and their policies, and he was prime minister until 2006. He lost the prime ministership in an election and then came back to power in 2008 and remained prime minister for the third and final time until 2011. He ultimately resigned in disgrace due to people thinking that he had failed to achieve his promises and also because of generalized discontent in his coalition. In 2013, he refounds his original party. He had sort of 
renamed it and reformed it a number of times, and tried to contest the election. But by this point, he had been convicted on a corruption charge and was eventually barred from running for public office until 2019. In 2019, he comes back, this time running as a member of the European Parliament, although he largely doesn't attend because at this point he's quite aged and is experiencing a lot of health problems. But in 2022, he re-emerges as a member of the leading Italian political coalition right up there on the stage with exactly the same two parties as before, except in their current formations, right? Now, that's Berlusconi's political career. It is one of ins and outs. It is one of coming into power and leaving it. But that's just the sort of electoral stuff here. When it comes to Berlusconi's actual policies and politics, they are often overshadowed by the memories that people have of him as a showman and, you know, as a charismatic figure. Politically, he was internationally freewheeling and very opportunistic. He worked heavily with Russia and with Libya, you know, other countries that many other leaders would not touch with a 10-foot pole. Domestically, his politics were personal, charismatic neoliberalism, with a little bit of social conservatism sprinkled on top. They were all about business and power and influence and his own charismatic stature. Essentially, his goal was to hold the country and his political coalition together through the power of his own charisma and his own persona. The real antecedent here isn't really Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is an incredibly divisive figure. It's more like Juan Perón, except Juan Perón was a little bit socialist, you know, a little bit more government intervention-y than Berlusconi was. So maybe think like a neoliberal Juan Perón. He also involved the government in major protections for his own business interests and massively decreased Italy's governmental transparency. He was also specifically and very personally famous for, like I said, his bombastic behavior and nature. Much like Donald Trump, he was famous for sort of political gaffes, quote unquote, you know, saying the wrong thing, making the wrong gesture, making an inappropriate joke, doing something that would irritate a political leader, getting drunk at major political functions, things like that. He was also very famous for his huge nudist orgy parties, by which I mean he and a bunch of other older powerful men paying young women, some of them sex workers, to attend a party with them. These parties were also the origin of one of the phrases that has stuck around Berlusconi and his legacy for so long. This is the bunga bunga phrase that I mentioned earlier in this podcast. This is a phrase that comes from a supposed, and this is quoting him, a supposed, quote, African ritual uh, that involved him dancing with a bunch of essentially naked women. The thing about Berlusconi is that this atmosphere, this, this persona that he has, has massively overshadowed the politics that he actually enacted which were ultimately relatively middle-of-the-road, neoliberal, conservative policies. His real legacy, though, I would argue, is that he fully normalized the entrance, the, 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 the connection of the post-fascist Italian right into the Italian political coalition, right? That is just a fully normal part of Italian politics, and it's something that an extremely popular politician like he himself can get away with. The other thing that he really fully normalized is the, just the, the extent of the incredible corruption 
and massive amount of scandals that he just created and then endured. He has been, in his lifetime, tried and in some cases actually convicted of dozens and dozens of crimes. We're talking crimes that range from crimes that are in the Italian criminal code relating to marital affairs. Berlusconi was married three times prior to his death. Crimes that relate to government and business corruption. This is the one actual conviction that he got, the one that barred him from political office until 2019. Crimes related to bribery. Crimes related to supposed interactions with the Italian mafia. Crimes related to drug trafficking. And also soliciting minors for sex. And these are all things that he is almost certainly guilty of, right? We know for, for a fact that there were underage people, underage women specifically, at his quote-unquote sex parties. But Berlusconi was able to weather all of these scandals and not just weather them like, like people would sweep them under the rug, but rather they became part of his mythos. Him being this like rule breaker, this, this young power shaker guy, you know, into his 80s, that was part of his mythos. That was his persona. That is what Berlusconi was. In addition to this, he openly praised Benito Mussolini and said that the real problem with Benito Mussolini was that he capitulated to Adolf Hitler on deporting Jewish people. He was openly pro-dictator, openly pro-strongman. He was pro-U.S. imperialist politics. But the thing that people remember about him is the sex parties. They remember his big smile. They remember him being really good on television. Berlusconi has come to have a reputation to many political commentators as the most successful and possibly the emblematic post-Cold War politician. A politician whose career was entirely about charisma, about image, and perception, rather than being about policy or technocracy. He occupies this one wing of the post-political world, right? the charismatic wing, as opposed to the technocratic wing. In this sense, he is, you know, potentially a harbinger of Donald Trump. But again, he is everything that Trump wishes he was. He is actually a self-made billionaire, actually very good at business. And, you know, Trump is also extremely good at appearing on television and forming political coalitions. But Berlusconi was in and out of politics very successfully for several decades, whereas Donald Trump seems like it's possible he's going to be more of a flash in the pan. This legacy for Berlusconi is one that will live on after his death and one that will unfortunately probably characterize Italian politics for quite some time. Berlusconi died this week, as in on Monday, after being diagnosed with leukemia earlier this year in March. Now, in this conversation, what I've described to you is a politician who is corrupt, who has a bunch of scandals, and who is a sort of regular center-right wing figure. Why am I talking about him in a podcast that is about fascism in the right wing? Well, it's because of what I said earlier. Berlusconi intentionally aided the entrance and success of the post-fascist Italian right into Italian politics. He normalized that, and he also normalized the kind of charismatic leadership that has resulted in the success of the extreme right wing in the United States. And so for that, Silvio Berlusconi, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. 
I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. That's how people see the podcast. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. And again, that's fascism 15 spelled out and all one word. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you Thursday.